Well, we're going to be in God's Word now, so I'd encourage you to go ahead and open up to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah this morning. As you um, probably are aware, we finished up our series in First and Second Corinthians, uh, countercultural, and uh, we have a few weeks before we jump into a new series, First uh, and Second Samuel, and um, we have a few weeks here just to kind of do a one-off sermon, and um, I chose this passage in Isaiah. Uh, for me, it's really hard when I can preach on anything because there are so many good texts, there are so many good topics. It's like there's so many things that I see in myself and our culture that we need to have preached on. So it's, it's really challenging, but this was just a text that, um, that I was drawn toward that I really enjoyed. And of course, all of God's Word speaks to us, has something to say to us. And so um, I pray that it will be so this morning, that we'll be um, encouraged and challenged from this passage in Isaiah 55. So Isaiah is towards the middle of your Bible. Um, so I hope you are there. Uh, but it's our practice here at Real Hope, if you're not familiar, to um, before we read Scripture, we say an affirmation of what we believe to be true about the Scriptures, about how the Holy Spirit works through them, and just our desire as a community to put ourselves under the authority of the Scriptures. And so you'll see this affirmation on your screen. And um, if, you, if you believe this, if you agree with it, please um, say it with me. Let's say it together. Our pursuit is by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the Word of God. We will embrace it as truth, no matter how painful it is to our souls or how countercultural it is to our souls. We will follow the King into eternity. As I said, we are in Isaiah 55, and so um, I'll read the whole chapter. It's not uh, too long of a chapter, but please uh, just follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, um, the scripture is also on the screens as well. This is the word of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we remember that you say about your word that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We thank you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. And we know that your word gives us understanding. The unfolding of your word imparts knowledge, Lord. And we, we hope in that this morning, Lord, we are, are thankful for how you reveal yourself to us. You make yourself known to us through your word. And we, we just praise you for that, Lord. We don't have to go through this world um, without knowing you, Lord. We can know you in that through your word. We pray this morning that you would speak, that you would speak powerfully to each of us exactly what we need to hear for your glory. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, um, one of the joys of my childhood was going to my Aunt Atha's house. Yeah, Atha, a name that you don't hear um, so often. Interesting name, but um, my aunt uh, lived near my dad. My parents were divorced, but she lived near my dad. And so when I would be at my dad's uh, house at his farm, we'd often go to my Aunt Atha's house. And um, as I was a boy growing up to a teenager, like there was some hard work to be done on the farm. So it was always a joy to, to take a break from the farm and to go to my aunt Atha's house. And um, she had an in-ground pool. And in addition to that in-ground pool, she had uh, lots of pool toys. She had a freezer full of ice cream, a fridge full of soda. It was, it was a good place uh, for a young boy. And so my siblings and I were just blessed by the love that, that she showered upon us through these things. Um, she and her husband had only been able to have one son, and unfortunately, uh, tragically, he died in a car accident long before I was born. And so she loved my siblings and I very much, in many ways, like we were her own children. Um, and on top of all these things, she loved to cook and would make delicious meals for us. Um, on our birthdays, we would always get to submit a cake or d- dessert request. Uh, mine for what I mean, she everything she made was good, but my request for some reason was, was always her cheesecake with strawberry topping. That was my favorite. It was delicious. Of course, later I would come to find out that it doesn't compare to the Karis's, uh cheesecake, their, um, their uh, dark chocolate espresso cheesecake. But, um, but at that time, it was, it was really good. So uh, my aunt's love for us was expressed through her hospitality and keeping us well-fed, not just with any food, but good food, rich food. Uh, maybe not always the healthiest, but again, in the eyes of a boy, it was good food. Um, maybe you have a certain person that comes to mind in your way, um, in your mind, for uh, similar reasons. Uh, maybe an aunt or grandma, maybe your mom. But in our passage today, we see that the Lord, in his covenant love, offers for us to eat what is good, to delight ourselves in rich food. Of course, even as good as cheesecake with strawberry topping is, it doesn't even register on the same scale as what the Lord offers to us. His, of course, is a spiritual offer, not an offer for physical food. 
although he does provide her physical food. That's not what he's talking about in this passage. And um, as we work through the passage today, we'll consider what it does mean to eat spiritually, to spiritually eat what is good. Although we are offered good, rich, spiritual food, the problem is that our tendency, just as it was for the Israelites, um, God's people in the Old Testament, our tendency is to spend our money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy. Spiritually, we go after things that don't truly nourish and satisfy us. The book of Isaiah was written when Israel was under God's judgment for forsaking him and turning to idols. Israel had spent their money for that which is not bread and their labor for that which does not satisfy. And the first audience for this section of Isaiah was God's defeated people under worldly dominion. God's people were captive to Babylon. The Lord spoke through Isaiah to console his discouraged people in exile, displaying how his glory would be revealed ultimately in Christ. Some of this perhaps sounds familiar to the time in which we live. While not in captivity today, uh, the church, God's people, we are suffering many defeats at the hands of an increasingly secular culture. While the church is growing in some ways in the West, it is also experiencing many challenges and setbacks, again, amidst a culture that is increasingly anti-God. So if you love God and put yourself under the authority of his word, you surely feel discouraged in some ways, both because of what you see in the church and what you see in the world. But the Lord is still sovereign. He's still on the throne and is still working to display his glory. He's inviting us to share his glory, which is most clearly displayed through rescuing sinners. So amidst defeat and discouragement, uh, much of which for Israel and us is self-inflicted, he says, come. He says, eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. So we work our way through this passage. We'll consider what it means to eat what is good by answering three questions. First question is, what is this food? What is this good, rich food that he's referring to in this passage? Well, it is himself in covenant relationship. Himself in covenant relationship. In verse 1 here in Isaiah 55, we read, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Then a little later he says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Then he says, Incline your ear to me and come to me that your soul may live. He's saying, Come, 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 eat and drink, be satisfied. So where exactly is he saying to come to in this invitation to eat and drink? He's saying, Come to me. Come to me. He is our true nourishment. In a similar way to how food is enjoyable and sustains and satisfies us physically, the Lord himself is our spiritual comfort and joy, our satisfaction and nourishment. And because of this, just a brief interjection for application here, I think it's so important that we continue to gather together to worship and to be together just as we are now. I know that you're here, and I'm thankful for that, but, but this is one of our primary meals of, of the week, if not the primary 
to be together, to hear the word of the Lord, to sing the word of the Lord, to pray it, to hear it read. So we need this spiritual meal together every week. We'll be um, hungry and unsatisfied without it. It's important that we gather together. But part of this feast to which we're invited is the Lord's love and forgiveness. That's part of what we feast on spiritually. Verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will have compassion. He will abundantly pardon. His gracious character is nourishment for our soul. Guilt and shame because of our sin and brokenness often keep us from coming to the Lord. When we are kept from him, we are malnourished spiritually. But it ought not be this way. He will abundantly pardon. So then let us come to him. Just as food is throughout our lives, so food is throughout Scripture. If you stop and reflect, take notice on that, um, it'd be really interesting just to do kind of a, a topical study on food. But we don't have time for that this morning. But we do see that in Scripture, food is provision for us. Genesis 1, uh, plants and trees were given for food. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 104 praises God for making grass grow for the cattle and plants um, for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Food is given as physical provision for us, ultimately so that we would understand spiritual provision. Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses tells the Israelites, he tells them, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We don't live by bread. We don't live by that which we eat physically. We live by the words that come from the mouth of the Lord. So when we eat, we are to remember. And I've, I've been convicted of this as I was preparing for this passage. I thank the Lord for my food, but when I consume it, am I really remembering that he is my nourishment? We're to remember that, not just when we eat the Lord's Supper, but every day when we eat. Remember that true life doesn't come from physical food, but it comes from God as we know Him and are in relationship with Him through His covenant. And relationship with Him is through His Word, but it's also by His covenant. As He is imploring His people to come to Him in this passage, He says in verses 3 and 4, "...and I will make with you an everlasting covenant." My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Throughout Scripture, God makes covenants with his people, where he graciously pledges his faithfulness to them and asks for their faithfulness in return. Of course, we're not able to perfectly be faithful to him, but we trust in the faithfulness of Christ. We rely upon that. But a covenant is a relationship of belonging. That's what a covenant is. It can be described many other ways, but one of the primary ways, it's a, a relationship of belonging. Just as in the marriage covenant, I belong exclusively to my wife, and she belongs exclusively to me. So in a covenant relationship with God, he belongs exclusively to his people, and they belong exclusively to him. 
The mention of the covenant with David here in Isaiah 55 shows us that the Lord offers us to come to him and eat and drink in a specific context, the context of covenant relationship. We aren't to be sheepish, awkward guests at the king's table. We belong there. If we are his people, we belong at his table. Because of the new covenant in Christ, which fulfilled the Davidic covenant, we belong at the king's table. We belong at his table because we belong to the king. We are his, he is ours. In this relationship of belonging, we are invited to enjoy the bounty of all that is his. Uh, Both throughout scripture and in life, food and drink is a picture of fellowship. The center of home, uh, most homes, I know our home, is the kitchen. And uh, interestingly, as I was thinking about this, when our building addition is finished, the kitchen will be at the center of our church building as well. But the foundation of the home is normally the dinner table, where families come together in fellowship around what the Lord has provided. And I think that much of the decline in society can be connected to families so infrequently sitting down to eat together. Um, Starbucks has become so popular not because of their coffee, but because of the promise of relationship. To many people, coffee tastes like dirt anyways, right? I don't know how you fall on the side of that, but I've heard that said from people. I acquired a taste for it over time. Now I like it, but I can see where that, that comes from. But what makes coffee so good is the coming together of the people around the coffee. For most people, not the coffee itself. I was talking to my mom um, earlier this week, and though she retired from teaching in a public high school in Kentucky this fall, she's taking a a full-time, long-term sub-position that was needed. Um, So she was describing to me what life is like in the school there amidst COVID, and a lot of what she described to me was familiar and expected. But what really got me was when she described the lunchtime at her school. And I don't know what it's like here in Lake Mills. I haven't actually talked that closely with people. And this isn't a negative commentary. I understand why COVID measures are in place, definitely. But at her school, students sit at individual desks six feet feet apart for lunch. That just struck me with deep sadness. When I was in school, I always looked forward to lunchtime, to being with my friends and, and hanging out. The students there aren't able to do that. Just picturing that gave me great sadness. We were made for food and fellowship. We were made for it physically and socially, but ultimately we were made for it spiritually. This food and fellowship. We were made to belong at the king's table, to fellowship with him, and to be nourished by him. So is he your nourishment? To be human is to hope and to have faith in something. Daily, we put our faith, our hope, and trust in so many things. Where is yours? What are your hopes and dreams? What, what gets you up in the morning? And what are you thinking about as you wander off to sleep at night? He promises that he will give us good, rich food. He gives us himself so that we will draw near to him in faith. As we saw, the invitation to come to him and eat is in the context of covenant relationship or belonging. So I would ask, do you belong to him? We give ourselves to many things. We belong to many things, careers, relationships, hobbies, pursuits of wealth. What has your heart? Where do you belong? Belonging has always been so important to our humanity, but probably never more important than now, I would say. 
The promise of technology to connect us has actually made us more lonely, and COVID has only accentuated this. We long to belong. We long to belong. And a lack of belonging is contributing toward many emotional and mental health struggles today. We need to belong to people, but ultimately we need to belong to Him. We are His. He is ours. And I would pray that each of us today have this pervasive sense of belonging to Him that really comforts us. To the complacent church of Laodicea, which the Lord didn't commend in any way. In Revelation 3.20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Perhaps you are here today and you've never done that. You've never responded to Christ. You've never experienced an initial fellowship with him and his nourishment. He invites you to come to him and to belong to him. He desires that we belong to him in fellowship with him so that he would be our nourishment by faith. Second question is, how do we get this food? How do we get this food? From the text, I think that we see that we get this food of himself. We get it by responding to his word with action. We get it by responding to his word with action. And then we'll see that we're motivated to respond with action as we recognize who he is and who we are. This passage is filled with many action verbs. If you, if you uh, look closely, come, buy, listen diligently, incline your ear, seek, call, forsake, return. First it says, come and buy. We're to recognize that he is infinitely wealthy and we are desperately poor. It is not enough to hunger and thirst. We must allow that hunger and thirst to drive us to the one who quenches our thirst and satisfies our hunger. As we know from John 6, read earlier in the service, Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him shall not hunger. Whoever believes in him shall never thirst. Jesus confused so many when he went on to say later in that passage, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. It's understandable why this would have been confusing and alarming, probably, to those that first heard it. Um, of course, he didn't mean his literal, physical flesh and blood, but he did very much mean his body, which is given for us, and his blood shed for us. This is our nourishment, which gives us eternal life. But it's a bit confusing here because those um, with no money are invited to buy and can do so without money, without price. Since those without money are invited, it shows that the truly needy are welcomed and accepted. Although there is a price, a very costly price to this good, rich food, it is not for those who come to pay for the food. It has already been paid for. One commentator says, they bring their poverty to a transaction already completed. We are motivated to respond to his invitation to come as we understand our great poverty and his infinite wealth. We are to listen diligently and incline our ears, we see in verses 2 and 3. In doing so, we recognize that his word brings life. And we are dead without his life-giving word. As, as verse 3 in the passage says, we are to hear that our soul may live. 
We're to hear that our soul may live. In the beginning, God's word went forth and life was created. So it is today. We are spiritually dead before Christ. But Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is his word that brings life to us and we receive him by faith. Verses 10 and 11 serve as the reason that we are to listen diligently and hear, for his word cannot fail to bring us into the richness and fullness of eternal life. We read in verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed the thing for which I sent it. His word shall accomplish all for which he purposes it. It shall succeed in the thing for which he sends it. The word of God is the unfailing agent of the will of God. Someone says, I was in study this week, the word of God is the unfailing agent of the will of God. His word brings repentance. It is piercing to the division of soul and, of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The call to repentance is really at the center of this passage in verses 6 and 7. We're to seek the Lord and call upon him. The wicked is to forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and return to the Lord. God's word, which brings life, is a call to repentance. His word displays his holiness and our lack of holiness. God's word brings repentance, which brings life. We are led to repent as we understand that his thoughts and ways are not ours, but just as the heavens are higher than the earth, his ways and thoughts are higher. When we look within and we look around to others, uh, we can often think that we are pretty good. I know that I do that at times. But when we look to God, if we even begin to understand his holiness, we recognize our sinfulness. When Isaiah was given a vision of the Lord and his holiness, in um, Isaiah 6, verse 5, he responds, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. After Job's trial and questioning of the Lord, the Lord answered Job and questioned Job. Afterward, Job responded, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The word of God reveals his holy character, and as it does, we are brought to repentance, the beginning of new life. So we must listen diligently and be eager to hear we feast on the Lord by receiving and responding to his word with action, especially the action of repentance. This is how we feed on him. We repent of and forsake the spending of our money for that which is not bread and our labor for that which does not satisfy. So what, what for you falls into these categories? Where are you spending your money for that which is not bread? Where are you laboring for that which does not satisfy? If you're a student, perhaps it's being accepted by the cool crowd or getting certain grades or getting into a certain school or maybe doing um, so well athletically, maybe you play a sport. And these things aren't, aren't bad, but they aren't, they aren't bread. They're not going to nourish your soul. Jesus is bread. 
Maybe for some of us, it's, it's a certain status of living, a certain home or a certain retirement plan. Um, for some of us, maybe it's the next deer you'll shoot this fall or, or maybe the fish that you'll catch. These things are of the earth and they are good. They're for our enjoyment, but they aren't bread. Jesus is bread. So is there something that you are laboring for that you think will satisfy Ask yourself that now. Ask yourself that today. Sometimes it can even be good things. Uh, by God's grace, I, I finished up a master's degree in June, something that I labored for. But though I consciously knew that it wouldn't satisfy, my heart didn't always get that message. And as I finished, I had to do some confessing and repenting about placing my hope in something that was good, but wouldn't deliver, wouldn't truly nourish. Jesus is bread. Other things are not. So what are you called to repent of today? Are there things that you're chasing with hope attached to that won't deliver? So we've seen that God's word brings life. Do you need to repent of maybe taking God's word too lightly? Do you prioritize it above all else? So we've seen so far that... um, that this food is God himself, this good, rich food is God himself. And then we get it by responding to him, to his word with action. Now we'll briefly see the results. What are the results of this food, this good, rich food? The results are transformation personally and globally. As we receive nourishment from the Lord through repentance, the result will be transformation. Just as the water cannot fail to water the earth, but causes plants to sprout, so receiving his word will undoubtedly bring life to us. We will sprout, grow, and change. We will be transformed for his glory. Similarly to how a physical diet can have a transformative effect, the right spiritual diet undoubtedly will. The latest fad diet or nutrition regimen doesn't compare to the transformation the Lord brings as we feast on him. This transformation happens on an individual level and on a global level. Verse 11 tells us, God's word shall not return to him empty, but shall accomplish that for which he purposes it and shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. Of course, we don't exhaustively know all of God's purposes, but we do know much from what he's revealed in his word. And we do know that we are made in his image, but that image of God in us is fallen, but that in Christ he is restoring the image of God in us. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, many other places. Just as the water causes the plants of the earth to yield fruit, so we bear fruit for his glory. Acts 20, 32, as Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders before his impending departure, he said to them, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, And to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. His word is able to build us up and give us the inheritance he chose us for. As as God's word accomplishes what he desires for his people, the nations are affected. So it's not just an individual thing. It's a national and global thing. In verse 5 it says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The you in verse 5 is the son of David, the messianic servant, Jesus. Jesus will call a nation that he did not know. 
The nation that he did not that he did know was Israel, who first received his covenant promises. But all the nations are running to him as his new covenant, inaugurated through Jesus' death and resurrection, has extended to all tribes and tongues. All the nations coming to him has to do with the glory that they see in the church. We see that here in this passage. Certainly a challenge for us, right? Um, as a church, do we exhibit God's glory so that all nations, even the peoples around us, but even all nations will be attracted to him? I would say at times yes, then at times not so much. It's a challenge for us. And then in verses 12 and 13, we see that this transformative effect of his word extends to all creation. The mountains and hills shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. If he was able to create the mountains, the hills, and the trees by his word, surely it isn't too much that the transformative effect of his word would make all creation glad once again. Indeed, he is bringing renewal to the whole earth through his word. So as we've considered the Lord's invitation to come to him and eat what is good, to delight ourselves in rich food, we have seen that he himself, through covenant relationship, is that food. We have seen that we get this rich food by responding to his word with action, especially repentance. Finally, we saw that the result of this good, rich food is transformation, both personally and globally. Although now we clearly understand that Jesus didn't literally mean to eat his literal flesh and drink his literal blood, the commandment to do that remains as difficult as ever. Because of our sin, our, our uh, fleshly nature, and the tempter, we're, we're always tempted to spend our money for that which is not bread and for labor for that which does not satisfy. But in his grace, he offers us himself, saying, Come and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Delight yourselves in me. This, this means to, to forsake other places, other things where we, where we get our hope, our deepest satisfaction, and to, to trust in him alone to meet our deepest needs. And this was always the Father's generous heart, him saying, come to me and eat. Uh, before he told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, he told them, you may eat. He said that before command not to eat. He said, you may eat and enjoy all that I've made except the one tree. Instead of trusting his provision that he will truly satisfy, we go after, Adam went after, and we go after that which will not. But in Christ, we have a sure and steady hope. Although he nourishes us in green pastures, he is faithful when we wander from them and find ourselves munching on the garbage heap. He will bring us home to himself, and forever we will eat what is good, what is rich, what fills us with delight at the king's table. In Revelation 19, our eternal belonging to God is described as a marriage supper. And late in Revelation 22:17, he says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water, the water of life without price. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that salvation is not 
just escaping your wrath, although it is, it is that, and we are thankful for that. True salvation is to be with you and to enjoy you, to delight in you by faith, to be nourished by all that you are. So we have fellowship with you, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for spending money for that which is not bread and for laboring for that which will not satisfy. Lord, identify the things in our heart, Lord, that we're after that will leave us disappointed and broken. Identify these things to us, Lord. Help us to understand that you yourself satisfy in covenant relationship and that we, if we're in you, we have a sense of belonging to you. And Lord, I pray that every person here would personally know that and be comforted by that sense of belonging to you. And Lord, help us to practice repentance daily. As we are in your word and we see that you are holy, that we are not, we see the things that we're giving ourselves to and we shouldn't be, Lord, help us to repent and turn back to you, the one who is bread. And Father, we thank you for the hope and the promise of transformation that we see um, because of the food that you give us. Lord, help us to be transformed as we feast upon you and your word. Lord, we pray that as we are increasingly becoming more like you, Lord, that you would draw many peoples even around us and the nations to yourself, your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.